This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. We love sharing news from our sponsor, Healing Inside Acupuncture and Holistic Medicine on Grand Avenue in St. Paul, Minnesota. Owner Senya May and her team of practitioners are here to help you, especially when it comes to the health concerns that are unique to us women. At Healing Insight, women's health is a huge priority. They're helping women who think they just have to live with things like painful periods, PMS and PMDD, endometriosis and fibroids. Women like Beth, who shared this testimonial, she said, I had such bad cramps that I was suffering with PMS for three weeks out of the month, and my moods were all over the place. The practitioners at Healing Insight worked their magic with acupuncture and herbs. I feel like a much better version of myself again. Senya says many of her patients are like Beth, who think being on the birth control permanently is the only way to solve their hormonal issues. And Senya says that's just not true. Healing Insight's holistic approach can rebalance your hormones naturally, so you're not struggling with your cycle every month. And Healing Insight practitioner Nikki Ballian was also just officially certified as a fertility specialist by the American Board of Oriental Reproductive Medicine. She's one of only nine practitioners to have this certification in the whole state of Minnesota. Listen to the episodes of Best of the Nest featuring Senya, number 25, simply titled Anxiety, and episode 113, where we talk about coping with the COVID-19 global pandemic. Visit HealingInsightOnline.com. That's HealingInsightOnline.com to find out more about Senya and her team. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. And this is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. We've got a fiery topic today, Marjorie Punnett. Are you ready to have your full red hair on for today? (laughs) Yeah, I'm a little worried about this because when we did a... Adult school supplies, that got a little fiery. Uh, we did guilty pleasures, that got a little fiery. So if we're starting fiery, I don't know where we're going to go. This is kind of how it goes. Okay, so the topic today is something that I've been so fascinated by for the last couple of months and particularly the last couple of weeks. And the topic is toxic positivity, okay? So toxic positivity is something that I have been delving into as we sort of look at this culture of self-awareness and self-help and um, looking critically at our lives and finding happiness and finding fulfillment, right? So there are a couple of things that happened 
recently that caused me to think about this a lot. Number one, I read this article from Motherly. Motherly is a is a nice website if you guys don't subscribe. Where they, it's one of the newsletters that I actually really do like getting. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd never heard of it. It's pretty good. I mean, they post a lot of things about being a mother. You know, modern motherhood, what things are going on, and there's fun like product things, and then there's also some more intense conversations, like this article by a woman named Diana Spalding that ended up in my email inbox. And the headline was this, toxic positivity doesn't fix how much moms are burnt out. It only makes things worse. And then the sub headline says, insisting that mothers be happy and positive all the time does not permit us to recognize or fix the foundational problems. So Marjorie, what's interesting about this is I think there is a generational bit of pressure on toxic positivity because there are always wonderful, well-meaning grandmothers in the grocery store who see you with your tantruming child and then say, just hold on to this moment. You'll miss it when it's done. You know, (laughs) and in that moment, you as the steward of the tantruming child is thinking, please shut up. (laughs) Please go away. Please Please don't talk to me. (laughs) Please go away. Even though you can understand that, yes, probably at the end of the line, you're going to be missing these moments when you're living through the difficult moments. I just don't know if that makes it any easier. I think that when you're in the thick of it, when the kids are little, what is different generationally for a lot of, I think for a lot of women, well, I don't know that there was ever a time, honestly, where mothers looked at motherhood as this glorious, fabulous thing. Every generation, it's been hard for its own reasons. And I think part of it is we have to express why and have to be able to do that without being shamed for it. I mean, I think there was a certain amount of, I know when I was a young mother, there was truly, it was the battle raging between the stay-at-home moms and the women who were really trying to build careers. Right. There was a lot of that sort of chatter going on and in in the magazines and you could talk to other women at parties or whatever that was that was a true topic of discussion i think that's faded a little bit but part of that was you would feel i know that when i was staying at home with the kids ever so briefly if you would talk to moms that were working and you would say, oh, my God, I'm so tired. They'd be like, you're tired. Yeah. You're tired. And it'd be like, well, well, I am. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I think there's always been like this. I think we just I think we have to foundationally just listen to people and yes. let them be where they want to be. I think that's so important and it is not easy for people to do. So in this motherly article, the author is talking about a friend who was mom shamed on social media and she was venting about the challenges of parenting during a pandemic and another mom who she didn't know messaged her and said, you should feel lucky for all that is good in your life and stop focusing on the bad. (sighs) When you complain, you bring everyone around you down. Motherhood is beautiful. Enjoy it more. And what happened was is, okay, maybe this woman, and I'm going to give the woman who wrote that message the benefit of the doubt, which I tend to do with people on social media in particular, right. Right. Um, but also just in general, because I think people, what people say has much more to do with them than it does about you. So I would assume, and to give her the benefit of the doubt, that her intention in that was to try to be uplifting and positive and to say, hey, you've got so many great things going on. I, this, I just am trying to cheer you up and to make make it better for you. This goes back to that word, which I'm almost afraid to say it. It goes back to gratitude. Yes. And that's, there's that certain part of the, uh, the generation that grew up watching Oprah when it was a revelation 
to do something like a gratitude journal. Right. Where you would sit down every night and you would write what you were grateful for, and that would help you feel better about your life and more optimistic. But there... But you don't always have to be grateful. Well, and there's a tipping point every for day. that, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So the feedback, though, that 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 the mom who was venting about parenting during a pandemic, which is not easy, instead of taking it as, oh, yeah, you're right. Oh, you're right. I should just see all the sunshine and rainbows. Thank you for sharing that with me. It actually makes things so much worse because when you're telling someone you should feel this you are shaming them for how they really feel. You're right. belittling them. You're isolating them. And then what it does, what this author is arguing, is that it hurts motherhood as a collective. And this is what resonated with me so much. She went on and said, the following statements are all truths. Optimism is beautiful. Finding the silver lining is a gift. A positive outlook will take you far. And sometimes life is really hard. And what she says is that in order to live a full human life, that last part has to be acknowledged and even welcomed into the conversation. To ignore or shame it is to practice toxic positivity, and it's a huge problem right now. And I totally agreed. I was reading this, and I was just like, yes, yes, yes. And it is, I think we have this cultural idea, Marjorie, that it is – our responsibility to call out or shame other people for how they feel. And I just don't understand where that came into the picture of that being okay. Right. To shame other people for how they feel is baffling to me. That one is hard for me sort of to, to pinpoint. Is it because now we express our feelings more and maybe 40 years ago, people just didn't. Yeah, maybe. And so, so that's how this is coming about. I, I don't, I don't really know where that comes from, but I do know if you can't express it, we've talked about this, we talk about it all the time. If you cannot express it, it's going to come out. It's going to come out one way or another. I was actually just talking to my son last night, I think it was, and he's, really into like vintage propaganda posters and oh, um, that's sustain- a fun hobby yeah and like sustainability <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> sustainability articles and things like that so we we're just talking about vintage things that he wants to start collecting and one of the things that i have a teeny tiny small collection are sort of housekeeping books from the 1950s and 1960s oh great marjorie because they're fascinating and I will tell you in one of them, it was a Hints from Heloise, which was a syndicated columnist column for years. In the opening, I wish I had it right here with me. In the opening paragraph, they talk about how don't get nervous all the time. Yeah. Don't get so nervous about the fact that your house isn't perfectly kept. Now, mind you, she goes on to say, you better wash the curtains on Thursday. You better do the mats on Friday. You better have dinner on the table. But don't be nervous about the fact that it isn't perfect. And I think there was a time where women, you sort of just sucked it up. And I think what we we have the right to speak about how we're feeling. We have the right to speak that raising children is pressure filled and hard. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't know when we started feeling that freedom to do it, which gave the opportunity for people to judge us for doing that. I don't, I don't know, know when that happened. Yeah, and I don't know if it became this thing where we've talked about how mothers throughout history. You know, there was a time when. Although women were home more and being at the home was so important and that was their primary job, they were not 100% responsible for their children's happiness, health, well-being, right? right. There right. was much more of a sense, and, and this is within the last 100 years, there was much more of a sense of a village 
or a reliance on it's God's will. So you could sort of take the responsibility out of it. Like if three of my 11 children die, that's God's will. It's sad, but it's God's will. And then we march on, right? Right. So some of those things, as we've embraced motherhood and the idea of what your mom is to you and that old cliche of like you someday you'll blame everything on your mother, right? Or turning into your mother. I mean, all <laughs> yes. those things. They, we've turned motherhood into this like all encompassing thing that you are responsible for your child's spiritual, emotional, physical growth and well-being and that you should be nurturing every aspect of them all the time. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. And then I think because of that, in order to justify that, we are trying to tell ourselves that that's because we should feel happy about that all the time. And that's what should fulfill us. And we should feel wonderful about that constantly. And it's sort of, I'm finding what I'm, when I'm like, thinking about this and talking to people about this, I'm finding this a little bit of like a dichotomy in American culture where you're either sort of in one of two camps. And I think it can be on any given day, you could probably switch between these two camps, depending on the issue. This idea of everything is fine, right? You're fine. We're fine. We're fine. We're okay. Everybody's okay. Like you fall down on the playground. It's okay. You've got it. You're fine. Move forward. Like don't, even think about pain. You pain, just avoid pain at all costs. And then you've got on the other end of the spectrum, Marjorie, this idea of it could be so much worse. So that concept of like, Marjorie, okay, so you say you call me and you say, Elizabeth, I am really bummed out. I broke my arm. And I say, well, Marjorie, that is a bummer, but some people don't even have arms. Right. (laughs) Could be so much worse. It could could be be so so much much worse. worse. Like, well, your p- parenting in a pandemic is hard, but at least you have a home. At least yeah. you're not homeless. I mean, honest to God, it, it, that is true. Sure. Yes, it's true. Yes, Marjorie, does, you're does lucky that you even had an arm to break. But, but it doesn't does take away really, the fact that it's hard. Yes, it doesn't take away the fact that it's hard. And what you're doing is you're minimizing the person's experience. You're comparing one pain to another, and then you're also not allowing them to feel their feelings about what they're going through. It's just like, I can't even with this right now. (laughs) Well, it's, well, part of it is that those responses just prove that somebody's not listening, right? Listening to you. They're not being empathetic to you. But I want to go back to something you said really quickly, because it struck me that you were saying, if you go back we can't idealize any period of motherhood. For sure. But all I can look back to is is sort of how I was raised. And my mother has always had a really interesting perspective. I have three older sisters, which I've talked about before. All of us at pretty hard jobs have worked pretty much through all of our children's lives. I'm probably of the four sisters, the only one that actually took time off other than maternity leave. All my other sisters worked all the way through raising their children. Yeah, they're like big time attorneys and anesthesiologists. I mean, it's the, a real deal. They're, yeah, they, they are, they are smart, good women, but they worked really, really hard. And my mom would always say, looking at us, I don't know how you do it. It was not like this for me. And my mom worked through all of us being raised. She was in, she was a vice president of a public relations firm. She was very successful. Her job was nine to five, nine to five. That's it. She would travel some, but nine to five. She had an incredibly supportive husband. My dad was nothing but proud of her, despite all the other complications, which we have talked about before. But as a husband of a, of a, of a career woman in the 1970s, super supportive. For sure. 
And then on top of that, when you talk about it takes a village, my parents never gave one thought to my spiritual being <laughs> because I went to Catholic schools. Yeah. Check. Cover. Done. Done. Don't weird that. Went to church every Sunday. Done. They didn't think about my emotional development in terms of my friendships with other people. We gave you three older sisters. Check. Done. We gave you friends. We're not worrying about the rest of that. Figure it out. Figure it out. And you think about, I mean, I left home at 17. Figure it out. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like they don't, they didn't think about, and this is not, I'm not sort of, piling on my parents. They raised four really independent, strong women, but they didn't worry about a lot of stuff. When I was little, Elizabeth, we lived on this little lake and there were a bunch of kids on this lake and we would all, this is before we moved to Chicago, they would all, we would all like barrel out in the morning in the summer and then come in for lunch, come back for dinner. My mom literally had a bell that she would ring for dinner. I was like three. Yeah. Under the care of like ten year olds. I know. If any if anything had happened to me, the mothers in that circle would not have looked at my mother and said, Shame on you. Yeah. They would have said, Oh my gosh, what a shame. And it's different. I mean, I just can't imagine I just can't imagine raising my children under those circumstances. There was good and bad of it, surely. But that responsibility that you were talking about of having to make sure that every side, you know, every facet of your child is nurtured and cared for and, and supported by you yeah, as opposed to by the community. And, and again, these are blanket statements. This isn't true for everybody. I know there are people out there who still, you know, their kids might go to a, a, a religious school and they feel like, check, they've checked that off. But, but there's a there there to what you're saying that puts yeah. that extra pressure on. I well, and what you just said so resonated with me. That idea of if something bad happens, there was not this this society immediate shame on you. It was that's a shame. Yeah, and that is that is a complete shift, I think. And that is how we end up with so much pressure on ourselves to not only be doing all of the right things, but then now to be feeling all of the right things right. and to be thinking all of the right things and to be saying all the right things. And and I think some of it comes from oversimplification of people and assuming that we know their story. Hi, Nesters. We take a moment to pause and share some really valuable information from our sponsor, Exercise 180. When you become a member of Annalisha Nimala's Exercise 180 online community, one amazing thing you gain access to is Annalisha's E180 digital course. Christina from St. Paul says this about her experience of going through the course. Annalisha's Exercise 180 course will help you rediscover what matters to you and how you hold the keys to your health, happiness, and destiny. It will help you Start living a healthier, happier, more inspired life now. It is so far apart from where typical health programs go. It's like she's light years into the future. Please, please, if you have a daughter, niece, cousin, or anyone in your life, including yourself, who struggles with body positivity and health issues, you cannot do yourself a better service than to go through the Exercise 180 course. It's probably the best thing I did for myself in 10 years or more. I would absolutely recommend the course to others. It's life-changing and life-affirming. It's far 
exceeded my expectations. It was so much better than I imagined it would be. Boy, how's that for a good review? Right now, you can take advantage of an exclusive E180 coupon code just for Best to the Nest listeners. Go to exercise180.com forward slash join dash now and use the code BTTN in all caps at checkout to save $100 on your E180 membership. But you got to hurry. This code is only valid through September 7th, 2020. Again, that's exercise180.com slash join dash now. And go back to episodes 92 and 143 of Best to the Nest to get a taste of Annalisha's groundbreaking philosophies on healthy living. I got an email from a viewer, Marjorie, that has had me stewing a bit for the past few days as I've sort of thought about how can I look at this and take this and learn from it and figure out the best messaging for what this woman is trying to say to me. So I got an email from a viewer And she was very nice. She said she's been a fan of TCL from the beginning, and she's excited about my upcoming baby. But she goes on in the email to say, I couldn't help but notice, however, the somewhat negative comments you make on air about being pregnant. Don't get me wrong. I totally get it. But I can't help but think of all your fans who are struggling with infertility and loss. And she went on and said, as a person who struggles with infertility, it is very hard to hear others take their fertility for granted. There are most likely many viewers who would gladly give up alcohol, put on 50, 60, 70 pounds, or carry your heavy stomach around. I'm not saying you don't have the right to complain about the less fun things about pregnancy, but please save it for Jay or your girlfriends who you know who are not struggling with infertility. And then went on to say, remember, God chose you to be the caregivers to these three precious gifts. Never take that for granted. I said, you do. So there were a few kind of responses to this. And some of this I've kind of gotten to the point where, again, I come at these from a place of this is much more about her than it is about me. Because something in what I said when I joke about how I gain 55 pounds with each pregnancy, which side note, Marjorie, well on the way, we're at about 42 right now. So we'll get there. Don't you fret. And you know what I say? (laughs) Go for it, girl. Go for it. Go for it. Have the best time. I know I, it was after an episode in which Steve and I were joking about that and having a lot of fun with it and just laughing and having fun. And, and so How is that wrong? What I understand from wrong? her, yes, is that what can happen because so much about what people say has to do with them and it doesn't have to do with me as a public person. This is like I say this to myself every day. Yeah. It has to do with them and it doesn't have to do with me. I am I I hate that something that I said triggered something in her that caused her to feel pain and sadness. I'm not apologizing for that. I'm saying I don't like that that happened. I wouldn't want that to happen to anybody. That's certainly never my intent. That's very different than apologizing because I'm not apologizing for what I said about or expressing anything about my experience in pregnancy. But what what this was such an example to me of, Marjorie, because I got this email the same week that I read this motherly article, and I've been thinking about it so much, was that what she is doing is, number one, assuming that she knows my entire story, right? Right. Assuming right. that she knows that I have never once struggled with fertility, which isn't true. Right. Assuming that I am taking the gift of life of my children for granted, which is not true. You cannot assume that or ever make that statement based on watching me on television for an hour right. a day. 
Absolutely right. not. And frankly, as a mother, that's where I will start to bite back a little bit and go, you don't get to tell me how I feel about my children. Uh, and you don't right. get to tell me that regardless of how you're feeling about what's going on in your life. So that's where I set up a boundary. But then also this idea that I should not be allowed to ever say any even like remote, I mean, not even negative Marjorie, just like a, a funny observation about life because I should be grateful every single second for every single thing that I have is completely missing the point of the human experience. How can you just enjoy all the good things without seeing some of the bad? How can you be grateful for health if you have never experienced being sick? You know that feeling after you get over a sickness, if you've been oh, like sick and you realize that day when you wake up and you go, oh my gosh, I'm better. Oh my it's gosh, It's like a little adrenaline rush. It's yes. so exciting. Yeah. It is that feeling when we are constantly telling people to number one, avoid pain, avoid pain, avoid pain. Number two, say everything is fine. Everything is fine. And number three, if you get to the point where you have to say that you're in pain, just always remember that somebody has it way worse. So you shouldn't really be saying anything about it to begin with. What are we doing to the human experience? We are Lysoling the hell out of it is what we're doing. Yeah. And I think it, it, this whole issue is complicated by the public nature of what you do. And you know this. I've lived through this as well. Doing a radio show on the air with my husband for 10 years, part of what you're doing is letting people in to know you. Yes. That's that in, in, in media, that's the bread and butter of a successful radio or television personality is someone who goes through the airwaves in such an authentic way that the person who's viewing or listening feels like, I know you. I know you. And I will say this, you know, for the 10 years that I was on the air, yes, the listeners knew a part of me. Mm -hmm. But the assumption that they knew all of me was a faulty assumption. Right. And people would often make that assumption that they understood and knew just who I was and knew what my marriage was made of and would say some pretty horrific things because they thought they knew me. Right. The flip side of that is there were a majority of people who would say the loveliest thing. <laughs> that's so and I, true. And I was always grateful for that. But that's, that's the first bit of this that we have to untangle. Being a public person is, is a weird – it's a weird state. I think you and I are – we're always grateful for our opportunities, always. We would always take the good with the bad. That having been said, to her point, I think what she's missing is, first of all, you're right. Whenever somebody writes something like that, something happened. Some, that's a trigger for her. Why she felt the need to write that, that that's about her. Yeah, yeah. And the, she struggled, and I don't want to minimize that struggle no, for no, her no. at and all. Right. We get that, which is why you're not firing back an awful email to her. No. and Because you get that. You're empathetic to, okay, there's something going on there. But that doesn't change how it feels when you receive that. And I think, in a way, what I think she's missing, and I think this is true whether you're a public personality or you're judging a friend or you're judging a sister or you're judging anybody else in your life, what she's missing in you joking about the weight is that you're taking something which, this isn't ideal, I'm going to have to lose it, but here I am, 
isn't this funny? This is how I do pregnancy, which yeah. is, was my situation. How did I do pregnancy? I gained 50 or 60 pounds. <laughs> was I surrounded by people who gained 25? Did they look adorable all the way through their pregnancy? <laughs> Were they wearing the cutest clothes and I was wearing a stupid sailor outfit? Yes. Yes. But that was my story. And my husband used to go on the radio and joke about how I was the human hut. And people people would call him and say, oh, my God, I can't believe your wife stays married to you. You're so mean. You're so mean. And I'd be like, look at me. Yeah. I am the human hut. I'm huge. I'm housing a human being. It's okay. It's okay. We laughed about it. And the fact that you were laughing about it. All I keep thinking about are all the other women out there who are like you and like me who we don't do tiny pregnancies. I know. And I know. and for them, it's like, okay, I'm going to laugh about it. I'm kind yeah. of uncomfortable, but I'm going to laugh about it. And and that's what, we, that's what we should all bring to the table. The more, I think the more authentic we can be when we share our pain, when we share our discomfort, when we share our insecurities, that can only be a good thing. That can only be a good thing. And I totally nobody agree. Has to, nobody has to solve it for us. I know. Just let it be. Just let it's it okay. be. You're so right. And even I love that idea, Marjorie, of thinking about, okay, because as, as I was kind of thinking about this conversation that we were going to have, I thought, well, I don't know if I, I mean, it's not like I have any solutions to this to offer, you know, <laughs> I don't, I mean, it's not like we're responsible for that. We've made that very clear on this podcast yes. that we're not Always. solving the problems. We're simply bringing them up, which <laughs> leaves us little to no responsibility for what happens after. I like that way of going about things, but, but when you just talked about the range of emotions that you can respond to someone with, it is that's another thing that we oversimplify that it doesn't have to be oh oh you're fine you're fine or don't feel that way right. or you look right. great you look great yeah okay fine you can say that but i know my current situation whatever that idea though that you can respond with joy and with laughter and with empathy and you can leave space for people to feel their pain all of the ands that you can do there that right. don't involve forcing someone into feeling a certain way because what i think this woman is doing is she's trying to force me into toxic positivity that's right. exactly what she was trying to do and and i don't think that's fair i don't think that's fair to do even if you've had an experience that is difficult and that when someone else, when you hear something or see something that that triggers pain for you, I don't feel like it's okay to always put the onus on the other person to adjust their behavior in order to account for how you're feeling in that moment. It's really much more worthwhile to take a look at how you're feeling in that moment and how can I better express that pain and accept the pain and sit in the pain and understand that when I move through it, I will be stronger on the other side. Absolutely. And I think too, I think you're touching on this as well, for the for the for the person who is having fertility problems, or let's just let's just widen it out to somebody who's having financial problems. Right. To somebody who's having marriage problems. Are we not to share our joy of marriage? Because of all the people out there that are struggling within theirs. People who have great marriages, even if I were at a point where I was struggling, I would want to learn from them. I would want to know more. I want to know that that's out there. I mean, all of that is we just have to be able to be who we are. And I think for the people who may feel, I mean, I get I get the infertility piece. I do. I mean, both you and I suffered miscarriages. Yeah. That doesn't compare to 
a lot of bigger, more expensive infertility issues. I get it. It doesn't compare. It doesn't make it less than, though. They're just not the same experience. But but I I still... I still want to be able to talk about having had babies. I want to be able to talk about that. So it's so complicated. Yeah, it is. And I think, though, what it is is an oversimplification. When we are forcing on this toxic positivity or we're telling someone that you shouldn't feel that way or express it because of how – because somebody else always has it worse, it's it's really minimizing the human experience. And I get – there's celebrities who post pictures on yachts during a pandemic. It doesn't go over that well. I mean, there's certainly something about being tone deaf and I think right. you can right. delve into as well. So it doesn't mean that every single thing that you say or express has to be – it is nice to know your audience and understand that. But yes. at the same time, yes. you are not responsible for everybody else's feelings. And if you start to take that on, I don't know how you will ever find any sort of joy in your life. That motherly article did have some solutions that I thought were really helpful. Oh, good. Because um, I don't have any. Yeah, these were <laughs> helpful, though. So they said that the solution to toxic positivity is threefold. Number one, welcoming the negative. Number two, increasing our empathy. And then number three, embracing the phrase, yes, and... And when she talks about welcoming the negative, I thought this was so good. The shadows are just as real as the light. That's the thing about life. They are important. They're valid. They're full of lessons. And ignoring them does not make them go away. If we could learn to tolerate discomfort a little more, learn to sit in the fire, we'd learn things about ourselves we'd never thought possible. And if when someone vented, we resisted the urge to say, stop, and instead said yes, imagine how much more compassionate our world would feel. No, I love that. And then on empathy, the next time someone feels called to remind a mother how lucky she is, let them be reminded that they cannot and should not presume to understand that mother's whole story. She might have battles you know nothing about. We have to increase our empathy levels and work the toxic positivity out of our culture. I love that too. Assuming that you know everybody's Everything about everyone's story is arrogant and and ignorant. Yeah. It, it just is. And then finally, on embracing yes and. So, and this is where we talk about this oversimplification, which we discuss so much on this podcast. Our human brains want to put things into either or categories. This is good and this is bad. And it can't be both because that's messy. But life is messy. And you can be grateful to have your health and stressed during the pandemic. You can believe that there are good people in the world and fight against institutional racism. You can love motherhood and be overwhelmed by it. You can feel lucky to be a mother and miss your pre-motherhood existence. Yes. (laughs) You can love your child and need a break from them. Love your job and look forward to the weekend. And she says, uh, so let's actually be here in the muck, in the fire, in it, because that is real and we are brave enough. Oh, I love that. It was just so, it was so good and so poignant. And again, this Diana Spaulding, and I don't know anything about her who wrote this article for Motherly. You know, sometimes in life it's like things just, I think our friend Jody Levon, who is an intuitive and a medium who we've had on our podcast before, she talks a lot about just that idea of when you're open to it, then you see the things that you need to see in life. Mm-hmm. And so when sometimes I might have scrolled through my email and not looked at this article, but I looked at it and then I got that email from a viewer and then I went back to this email and it helped me just kind of put things in perspective 
and and understand what's the bigger conversation here that we should be having. Well, and the most important thing to me in all of this, and I think you already exhibited it, and I think we need more of it in our workplaces, especially right now and in our homes, is that idea of empathy, of not reacting, of not trying to make nice, not trying to ignore something. Just listen, just try and understand, just take a moment and try and hear what people are telling you, which I actually think you did with this, with that viewer's email, is you're trying to understand where that's coming from. Right. It doesn't say that it's not annoying, but you're trying to understand, you're trying to sort through it. And I think that that in and of itself is empathetic. And I think that's what we all have to take going forward, especially during a pandemic, especially when your kids are young, especially when things aren't going your way. Empathy to those around you is so important. Just giving yourself and others grace. Oh, gosh. Good stuff, Marjorie. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. This morning, this review is particularly perfect, Elizabeth, and I'm going to warn you, I may cry. This is from (laughs) Old Tom in California. He writes, a ray of feminine sunshine. I have followed Ian Punnett on various platforms for years. Earlier this year, he gave a plug for your podcast, saying his wife, Marjorie, was one of the hosts. Since I so enjoy Ian's outlook and style, I thought, let's give a listen to Best to the Nest. (laughs) I was hooked. While it would seem unlikely to appeal to a 60-year-old recent widower living alone, two sons married, and left the nest, I love your positive, practical, and conversational style and feel that for a few minutes every week... I am listening to my late wife Aww. and gal pals, a little feminine angle back in my life. Thanks for the weekly ray of sunshine home in California. Oh I tried gosh. practicing this last night. Oh, Marjorie. Could that be sweeter? Tom in California, you are a dream, and that is so wonderful and touching and amazing and unexpected and we are just so happy to call you a nester all right i love it we love you tom in california i know listen it's a pandemic i'll do it and i'm probably i've probably given you some of my pregnancy hormones just through (laughs) osmosis so i apologize for that (laughs) find us on facebook and instagram at best of the nest or go to best of the nest.com to subscribe to our newsletter we are the podcast that brings you home To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League.
Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.